He is good. Amen. Hallelujah. It is good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. I like to tell people that uh, Wednesday uh, evenings is my favorite evening of the week. And I would hope that you all see the reason for that. Because we get to sit in the presence of the Lord together, right? Hallelujah. So what's God's name? Jesus. There you go. What is love's name? Jesus. Hallelujah. What is provision's name? Jesus. What is life's name? Jesus. Praise the Lord. Who is the closest friend you can possibly have? Jesus. Who wants to help you in every area of your life? Jesus. Who wants to be involved in your hobbies? Amen. Hallelujah. Who wants to protect you from danger? Jesus. It's Jesus, y'all. Jesus, the name above all names, the King of kings and Lord of lords, it is Jesus. That is the reason we are here on this earth. It's the reason we're here in this house tonight. It's Jesus. Hallelujah. All the doctrine in the world, all the theology in the world, you know, those those things are great, but it all boils down to Jesus, who is the Son of God. That's why we're here. Do you know what made David such a good king? You know, David in the Bible. Do you know what made him such a good king? Well, Acts tells us in chapter 13, verse 22, it says, And when God had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified. God himself testified and said, I have found David, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. That is what made David such a good king. It's because he was after God's own heart. He was a man who was solely focused. Now, we know he made mistakes, of course, like anybody else. But in David was found a man who was solely focused in devotion to the Lord. He, we know he was, um, we would call him a, a worship leader nowadays. You know, he played the, played the lyre, kind of like a guitar back in those days. But... You know, he spent time with the Father. He spent time with God. And that's what made him such a good king. Um, you know, there is, recently, I've noticed, um, uh, I, a concern of mine. Uh, I, I have a concern for the body of Christ. Um, recently, I have noticed um, in the world a growing narrative, we'll say, coming from the world. Um, And this is something actually pretty recent, pretty new that I've been noticing. But the world, we know, will always try to undermine Jesus because it doesn't know him. Jesus says himself that the world hates him because it does does not know him. Um, So we know that the world will always try to denounce Jesus and that the world will always try to tell you things like Jesus was not the son of God. Jesus was just a guy. Um, But recently I've begun to notice uh, this this narrative that the world is trying to push that um, that the, the Jesus that the church preaches isn't the real Jesus. Amen. And this there's this narrative going around that. Uh, the people in the church don't actually know what Jesus was really like. And there's an element of that 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 is true. Yeah, I get it. The majority of people who claim to be Christians, I would say they don't really know what Jesus is like. But 
there is this narrative going around that cites that they say they say half truths and out of context things to try to tell people, well, actually, Jesus was like this. Those Christians don't know what they're talking about, you know. You know, they say things like, Jesus, well, you know, Jesus actually preached love and acceptance. Well, that's half true. Jesus preached love. He absolutely did not preach acceptance. Jesus preached repentance. Jesus preached the acceptance in the sense that it does not matter who you are, where, what you've done, what you think you are, anyone can come to heaven. Anyone can make him their Lord. That is the acceptance that Jesus preached. But the world is trying to turn this into, well, you just have to accept me the way that I am. Because that's what Jesus preached. Jesus preached acceptance. And you just have to take me the way that I am. And I'm not going to change. And they say things like, well, you know, did you know that Jesus was anti-establishment? You know, he was, you know, uh, they quote that verse that uh, I have not, what is it? I have not come to bring... um, he, he said, oh, what is it, Lord? He said he had come to the world to, uh, to bring a sword. In other words, to bring division, you know. And they, they cite him as speaking against the governments and speaking against authority to say that, well, you know, Jesus was against the governments and Jesus was anti-establishment, you know. Well, that's not true. Right. I mean, the word itself says in multiple places that we should honor and respect our governing authorities and anyone who is in a position of authority above us, naturally speaking, you know, governments. Not just spiritually, but naturally. So there's this, um, there's this narrative going around that the, the world is presenting that us Christians, we don't actually know what Jesus was like. And that is concerning, obviously. But, you know, if you want to get to know somebody... You need to spend time with them. The reason that's so concerning is because uh, I would say most people don't spend time with Jesus. So they have a, there's this tendency to just take things as is. Wow, I didn't know that. Jesus was anti-establishment? Huh. And they just take it in because they don't know any better. If you want to get to know somebody, you have to spend time with them. You know, I could, sp- I could spend a lot of time and read dozens and dozens of books about, let's say, George Washington. You know, I could spend a lot of time studying him, studying his quotes, you know. And essentially, you know, I could get to know George Washington through historical books, quotes, uh, different facts about his life. But, you know, uh, George Washington is dead. So he's not around to back it up. You know, history could record anything they wanted about George Washington because he's dead and he's not here to defend himself. That's why revisionist history is a thing. I mean, in 100 years, who knows what people are going to believe. But Jesus is not dead. Jesus is still here to defend himself. Now, you know, I personally um, have never had a vision. I know people who have. I know plenty of people who have. 
I've never heard the audible voice of the Lord. I know people who have. But you know what I do have is the witness of the Spirit on, on the inside of me. Amen. Jesus is alive, and he will confirm or deny things that, that come into your ears or go into your eyes. So when we encounter these different narratives that the world tries to throw at us, you know, well, you know, the, these Christians don't actually know what Jesus is like. You know, you can test those things. You say, Lord, is that true? And he'll give you a yeah or a no. You can't do that with anybody else. I can't, um, I can't go back and ask Julius Caesar, for instance, hey, is this, is this true about you in this history book? Is this true, Julius Caesar? Because, hey, he's gone. Right. He's dead. <laughs> if he talks to you, come see me. You might have a problem. <laughs> and we'll pray for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jesus will confirm or deny things because we have his spirit. Praise God for that. We don't have to walk around in the dark not knowing what's true and what's not true. Um, So we want to spend time with the Lord. We want to get to know him. We want to get to know him so that we are able to refute anything false that's said about him. So with that in mind, you know, we'd spent a lot of time um, talking about how involved Jesus is in our lives. How, how, and I know this isn't exactly grammatically correct, but how much there he is, you know? He's here with you. He's not far off in the distant galaxies away. He's here with us right now. So we talked a lot about how Jesus is our friend and how Jesus is divine. I think we talked about that twice, didn't we? Praise the Lord. Um, Tonight, I want to go in a little bit of, well, further with this. And we want to get to know Jesus further. And tonight, I want to talk about the core of Jesus' heart. And you can write that down as a header if you want to. The core of Jesus' heart. We're going to get to know Jesus a little more. Um, in First John, you can turn there if you have a Bible. First uh, John chapter four. First John chapter four, verse sixteen says, "So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. So Jesus Himself is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God." And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because, now catch this phrase, as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. And I want to direct your attention to 2 Corinthians 5.20. We've heard this one before. It says, Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors perfectly reflect the one they represent. That's their job. An ambassador's job 
is to be a representative for the one they represent. An ambassador's job is to perfectly portray the thoughts, the ideas, and the opinions of the one that they represent. As he is, we are in this world. We're ambassadors for Christ. And John 14, 12, we quote this one a lot. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Jesus himself said that, that greater works will we do even than him. Now we know that we're not God we're not gods. We're not almighty. We talked about this last week. Everything that we have been, everything that's been made available to us, it's only through him. It is only through him because he is divine. He is the source. He is God almighty. But, you know, we, we don't want to forget that we have been given the authority to do what Jesus did. We've been delegated. We've been sent out. We have standing orders to go into all the world, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils by the head of the church himself, Jesus. But if we're going to do the works that he did, and if we're going to do greater works than he did, at least in scale, I believe that's what he was talking about, we have to get to know him because he's divine. He is the source of it all. We can't do his works if we don't have the fruit that comes from being with him. That's why we have the fruit. Or that's at least one of the reasons we have the fruit. So we can do his works. So in order to do his works, in order to receive the fruit necessary to do his works, you have to spend time with the vine and get to know him. We're talking about the core of Jesus' heart. And... If we are to do Jesus' works, we have to know what those works are. So, ask this question to yourself. What did Jesus like to do? What does Jesus like? You know, on top of doing what Jesus says, we are also to do what Jesus does. It comes with being an ambassador being a representative of Christ. And you know, we, people, super religious people will get mad at that and say, well, you're not Jesus. Well, yeah, I know that. We're not God. We can't be the savior of the world. That's why you have to discern what Jesus did as the savior between what he did as an example. Right. You know, right. we're, we're imperfect. We cannot, we could not go to the cross and save humanity. It would not be a perfect sacrifice. Only he could have done that. But he did a lot of stuff on this planet as an example to us. So you have to learn to discern those things. Uh, I know most of y'all know this, but I have these color-coded highlights in my Bible. I think um, it just makes sense to me. Um, But green in my Bible... Is and, and here's a few examples, if you can see that. I have some passages that I've highlighted green. Green in my Bible is for actions that people did 
that I should do too. So not necessarily somebody said do this, that wouldn't be green, but it would be if someone went out and did something that, hey, I need to do that too. It's an example. And that's what I'm talking about, Jesus as the example. If I had time, I'd, I would go through plenty of them, um, but I'm going to be focused tonight. So what did Jesus do here on the earth? What does Jesus like to do the most? Now, Jesus did a lot of stuff when he was here on the earth. Um, in fact, John records that if we wrote everything down that Jesus did, the, the whole the, the oceans wouldn't be able to fill up the volumes of things that Jesus did on the earth. But there were certain things that Jesus did a lot. You know, Jesus walked on water once, so that's cool. That was a miracle. And, you know, if, if the Lord deems it necessary, I believe we can walk on water. Yeah. Again, if it's necessary for some reason. But there are things that Jesus did more than others. You know, there are things that are recorded in the Gospels that Jesus did, like, a lot, over and over and over. You know, Jesus fed 5,000, and again, 4,000. That was two times. Just twice he did that, That's, that we have recorded, at least. But there are other things that Jesus did over and over and over and over and over. So I'm going to focus on those things tonight. What did Jesus do the most when he was on this, on, on this planet with us? And I'm going to go through these just real quick. And I'm going to do this first one. I did this one first on purpose because it's the one that kind of stings a little. One thing that Jesus did over and over and over was denounce religious hypocrisy. Over and over, Jesus denounced religious hypocrisy. And I'm going to turn to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. And I'm just going to, you know, if you want to read along, by all means, but I'm going to read the whole thing. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their... Um, that's a fancy word that I'm not going to try to pronounce broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Ouch. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land and make a single proselyte 
And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anybody swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? For whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the inside of the cup and the plate, or you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean." Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. For you, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our father, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the bloods of prophets. Thus you witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from, blood of, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation." An entire chapter dedicated to just Jesus going on this rant. You know, we talked about the first week. You know, Jesus got mad sometimes. This righteous anger. You know, if you look in the Word, most of the time when Jesus got mad, it was because of that. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. The scribes and the Pharisees, they taught the law, and they added a whole bunch to it of their own words, which is a whole nother problem. But, you know, they didn't practice what they preached. And that's a big problem with Jesus. It's a big problem with the church today, in fact, not practicing what we preach. I mean, come on now. If, if, if we find the, the one thing in the word that makes Jesus really upset, we probably shouldn't do that. Amen. I don't know. That's just common sense to me. But um, that doesn't stop some people. So denouncing religious hypocrisy, and I say hypocrisy over and over because that's what it is, not practicing what you preach, and, and adding to the word and laying up all these 
these rules and these laws that say, you know, you have to do all these things if you want to be holy. Hypocrisy. Religious. It's religion. And Jesus, over and over and over, got angry with people. The, the religious leaders of the day. I mean, he took the time to make a whip and drive people out of his temple because they were dishonoring that, that sacred, holy place. Over and over we find this. So you will find, if you are here for any length of time, I mean, at Compass Church, you will find that I am not a fan of religion. And I am unapologetically so. Not a fan of it. Not a fan of religious hypocrisy. So, if Jesus did it, we should probably do that too. So that's that one out of the way. Are you ready for the fun ones? I got the, the, the scary one out of the way. Okay. So another thing that Jesus did over and over and over, healed the sick. Jesus healed the sick everywhere he went. Uh, Just one example. And I think this is one of the most beautiful examples in the word of Jesus healing the sick because it gives us a major revelation of who he is. Uh, Matthew 8, 1 through 3 says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if, you're, if you will, or if it's your will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And uh, people who are a lot smarter than I am have dove into the Greek here. And apparently in the Greek language, that little phrase where he says, I will, um, a more accurate translation would be, of course I will. Of course it's my will that you be cleansed. And it's also so beautiful that Jesus was not afraid of this leprous person. Have you ever seen leprosy? I've seen pictures of it. It's disgusting. It's scary, almost. Like leprosy will, it's it's a flesh-eating disease. It will cause your limbs to fall off. It's disgusting. And back in that day, it, apparently, I mean, it was rampant. And if you were leprous, you know, you had to shout unclean, unclean everywhere you went. So the people knew to stay away from you. But Jesus did not hesitate to go to this man and say, of course it's my will that you be healed. Acts ten thirty eight: how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The anointing that was on Jesus did two things. Caused him to do good and to heal. It's a fundamental aspect of who Jesus is. Jesus breathes and healing goes forth. It just oozes out of him. It's just who and what he is. He is healing. You know, healing is just another form of restoration. Restoration is just another form of creation. And we know Jesus created the universe. He is the word of God. By the word, the heavens and the earth were created. It's just what he is. It's just who he is. And it's really nice having him as a friend. Come on. Because we know that when sickness tries to come against us, we have healing himself 
defending us. Healing himself. Did you know healing has a name? (laughs) His name is Jesus. Healing is our friend. Healing is a part of us because he lives in us. Over and over and over, Jesus went about healing the sick. But we're talking about doing his works. Did you know in Mark 16, it says one of the marks of a believer. Not an obscure command, but a mark of a believer is that they will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. It's just who we are. Part of doing the works of Jesus means laying hands on the sick so that they will recover. I don't think we do that enough around here. Well, maybe not around here. Because I'll do that whenever y'all want. I mean, you can come up here right now and I'll lay hands on you and you will be healed. But um, I don't think we do that enough in the whole body of Christ. Of course, that's a whole other sermon that would take weeks to go over. But never, ever be afraid or hesitate to lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus. Jesus did it as our example. So we are to do it as well. Now, another thing that Jesus did over and over, and um, you know how that first one was kind of the scary one? Well, this one can kind of be scary if you don't know anything. But Jesus cast out devils everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, he was casting out demons. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. And I'll say it until Jesus comes back. Uh, Evil spirits which is just demons, devils, whatever you want to call them. Uh, uh, Demons are responsible for way, way more than people give them credit for. If you want uh, an in-depth study on that, um, I did a series several months ago called Knowing Your Enemy, all about Satan and, and, and demons and evil spirits. So you can go listen to that. We have books back there, I believe, about the subject, but... You know, people don't, and people can get mad at this, but if they want to stay ignorant, they can stay ignorant. Yeah. I don't care. But people don't just walk up in an elementary school and kill people. They have to submit to something that tells them to do that. You're right. Yeah. Got news today that somebody did the same thing in a hospital in Tulsa. People don't just do that. You can argue, oh, well, it's just the nature, the evil nature of mankind. No, something is telling them to do that. People don't want to admit it because it's spooky. But demons are a reality in this world that we live in. But thankfully, haha, this is the good part. Jesus defeated that. The one who is above all names above all principalities, powers, might, and dominions, all thrones on the earth, above the earth, under the earth. He's our friend. Amen. He's our Lord. He is our King. He is with us, and he has authorized us. Remember that passage that I told you about in Mark 16 earlier? Well, immediately following that, you know, the laying hands on the sick, immediately following that, a mark of a believer, one of the signs that proves that you are a believer is that you cast out demons. Doesn't matter where you go. Doesn't matter how scary it might be. You always have the right 
and the authority to rebuke demons. Because the head of the church gave it to us. We've been authorized to go into the world and rebuke darkness. We're the light. We carry the light in us. Where there is light, darkness cannot stay. You know, demons tremble at the name of Jesus. They flee at the name of Jesus. Praise God. And Jesus did it over and over and over. Never once was he concerned. Never once was he scared. Never once was he rattled. In fact, when the disciples came back to him one time and said, Lord, we can't seem to cast this demon out of the boy. He said, how long am I going to be with you? You of so little faith. I mean, come on. Why are we so scared of it? Why are we so hesitant? You don't have to be scared. It's not scary. I've encountered many times, just in my day to day. I mean, we see, we always think of demons as being in those remote regions in Africa, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, honey. No, they're here in Auburn. Auburn, Opelika, Alabama. They're here. And they are afraid of you. They are terrified that this place right here is here. They are terrified when you walk into the room. Why? Because you carry Jesus. If Jesus did it, well, I will too. And another thing that Jesus did over and over, just this little phrase that we see over and over. Now, this one may seem obvious, but um, it's something that we need to think about. Uh, Preach and teach. Something Jesus did over and over. We see he, the, the phrase, he went about preaching and teaching, or, or some variation of that phrase. Over and over, we see Jesus went about preaching and teaching. Um, one example I have here is Luke 4, 42 and 43. It says, when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent with this purpose. And you know, about that, one thing that you'll notice if you actually read it is that the message that Jesus brought to the world was one word, repent. Back to what I was saying at the beginning, the world will try to tell you, oh, Jesus preached. Uh, did you know that Jesus went about preaching love and acceptance? Well, no, he didn't. He went about preaching repentance. At no point does Jesus ever preach that we are to let people stay in their sin. All right. yeah. Over and over and over and over, Jesus preached repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Yes. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You know what repent means? It means turn away. Turn aside. So you're going this way. This way is sin. This way is darkness. Repent means turn around. Stop. Turn around. Go the other way. Repent. That was Jesus' message. And people don't like that. You know, because that's not inclusive. I mean, 
Personally, I wouldn't want to include sin in, uh, in my kingdom, in the heavenly kingdom. I, I do not want it. Yeah. And Jesus sure didn't. Over and over and over and over, he preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Luke 19.10 tells us, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. The lost are not saved if they don't... The lost are not saved if they stay where they're at. The lost are saved when they are brought out of where they're at into the kingdom. The point of Jesus' coming was to take people out of their sin, out of the world, out of the darkness, and into the kingdom of heaven. So, why are we so scared of telling people that? I mean, Jesus himself, that was his purpose. The head of the church, the one who has sent us out. Why are we so scared? Of telling people, God does not want you to stay there. God does not want you to continue doing fill in the blank. We have got to get to a place where we can tell people the truth. Repent. That was his message. I personally think for too long, the, the church has adopted this narrative of Jesus preached acceptance. That is not true. It is not true. Jesus, the the only acceptance Jesus preached was that anyone can come to him and come out of their sin. Out of their sin. Not claim him by name. Come to church twice a month. And say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And stay where they're at in their sin. Don't be afraid to tell people. And you know, the world will try to spin it to where, oh, you're not, you're not loving people. You can't, you, you can't say that. You're supposed to love people. Well... The word tells us that if you love someone, you will bring them out of it. If you love, truly loving someone, did you know that Jesus walked in perfect love every second of every day when he was here on the earth? Love himself told people to repent. Love himself told people that's not okay, but here's the better way. That's the whole point of why he came. Was to give people a better way. So, if Jesus did it, we probably should too. And finally, the last thing that Jesus did, and this one, I was just reading a book today um, that has a whole chapter dedicated to this very thing. And it was so good. But, Jesus came to serve people. Jesus came to serve people. 
Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when you really think about this, it's so mind-boggling. Like, this is so wild. The creator himself, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, didn't come to be served. He came to serve? The one who is so much higher in authority than anything else in the universe came to serve, not to be served. It's crazy. It, it, It throws your brain on tilt. Because most people would love just to be served. And most people don't want to serve. I mean, that's just a plain fact. Most people don't want to serve. The few that do will bless you. You're in the minority. Jesus had a servant's heart. He was always going around looking for ways to serve people. He did not come to be served, but to serve. Thank you, Lord. And I'm not just talking about in church. So throw that religious idea out of your head. Right. <laughs> Having a servant's heart covers your whole life. Yes. Right. Not just coming in here on Sunday morning and passing a basket for offering. That's one thing we do as service to, you know, the, the church the local church. We should be serving our local church in some capacity. But having a servant's heart is just part of who you are in your everyday, with your coworkers, even the ones you don't like. We've all got those. With your family, you are to serve them. And the world, again, has spun this narrative that service means you're, you're, you're lowly, your your you your your dirt and that is simply not true the word says that the one who exalts himself will be humbled and that's a, not a place you want to be you don't want to have to be humbled by the lord but the one who humbles themselves will be exalted so if you want to be exalted, don't chase the, exalt, the exaltation from the Lord. Pursue having a heart of humility and service to others. True love serves others, no matter who they are, what they've done to you, what they think of you, what they say about you behind your back, even though you know it, and they think you don't know it because they're chatting with all the other coworkers, you know. True love still serves them. True love will always serve them. You don't even have to be... You know, I I get it. You can get to a point with your relationship with other people to where maybe they have just... They're they're never going to change with you. They're always going to hate you. You know, they're always going to pick on you. That's okay. You can distance yourself. It's not, it's not, you're not hating them if you distance yourself, but you should always have a heart willing to serve them if they need it. 
Somebody needs a ride, give them a ride. Somebody needs you to pick up some slack at work, pick up some slack at work. Your family needs a little more time with you, maybe because they've been missing you. Spend a little more time with your family. Serve them. Your spouse is having some trouble making ends meet in the house. Maybe, maybe your spouse is off working. Pick up, do the dishes. Pick up the house. Maybe your, maybe your spouse is doing all the work at home while you're out working and they're being overworked. Come home and help them. A heart of service is a heart of love. A heart of love is a heart of humility. And a heart of humility is the same heart that Jesus has. And you know what the amazing thing is about all this? Now, that, that's my list. That's, those are things that Jesus did over and over and over. But you know, the, the best part of this is that Jesus didn't say, go do my work, I'll be over here. People have this, this image of Christ in their, in their minds like he's a dictator. You know how I talked about um, weeks ago in some other series, uh, Fundies, um, how most people have this image of Christ as the CEO. You know, he's sitting in the conference room with all the angels. And one angel comes in and he whispers in Jesus' ear. And he's like, what? Tell them I'm busy. I'll get back with them later. I'm in a meeting. You know, that's the image people have of Christ. Like, he's too busy for us. Right. You know, like, he can, only, he can only help one person at a time. <laughs> and he says, and, and like, he's this dictator lording over us. Go do that. Go do this. No. Bad. Lightning bolt. <laughs> but Christ is with us. <laughs> one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit coming was so he could help us do his work. We have been endued with power, divine power from the Lord himself to do his work. He's not driving us. He is leading us. Christ is not behind us with a whip. He is out front with an open palm leading us to do his work. So don't think of this as a burden because I'll tell you real quick that Jesus himself said, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's never a burden to do Christ's work. It's never a burden. It is never a burden. And you know, you understand what I mean by burden. I mean like in your spirit. You know, some things can just weigh heavy on you. I've been in places before in my life um, where I've been so frustrated with life and it's just a burden on me. And I've had to get before the Lord and receive his grace to help me. That's what it means when he said, take my yoke. Because it's light. I'm going to help you. We can do this together. Amen? Amen. So, let's do the work of Jesus. Let's do the work of Jesus with him. Amen. Hallelujah. We can wrap it up with that. I think I've got one more week with y'all on this series, and we're going to see after that. Amen. Let's pray.